Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Uh, t- today, today, to be honest with you, I had a message prepped for today. Usually what I try and do is I try and write my message kind of Monday, Tuesday of the week so that it's in the back of my brain and I'm mulling it over and it's, it's kind of there. And so I, I did that uh, as, as kind of my practice this week. And as I got to yesterday... Uh, I really just felt like God wanted to say something different, uh, to be honest. And in, in those moments, I'm like, God, where were you Monday, Tuesday, right? <laughs> uh, God was still there. Um, but some, somewhere in the way, uh, I, I really just felt like God wanted to, to emphasize uh, something in particular today. And, and so I, I say that so that hopefully there's a bit of patience um, that if this seems like an ill-formed message, which God, is, uh, God can speak through donkeys, and I rate myself a little bit higher on the scale than donkey, uh, right? So, so God will be at work. But uh, I was really thinking, you know, with the events that are happening uh, overseas, with, with everything that, that we've been seeing going on and, and continuing to go on with, with wars and with gun violence and then with things that are happening here at home with, with discussions around church and, and entering into winter and just the, the, the rhythms of life and, and the pandemic kind of being over but also continuing and people being like, yeah, no one's getting COVID anymore and then people get COVID and we're like, I guess people still are getting COVID and uh, and then even reflecting on, you know, where we are as a church and the series on timing and, and the fact that last week we, we spoke about the fact that as a church, we, we believe in serving. That as a church, we believe that it is a, a blessing to, to serve. That as a church, that we believe that serving can be worship. Yeah, and we really emphasize the, the idea of that it can be, but that doesn't mean that it always is. That, that serving can also be something in which we do the right thing for, for the wrong reason, and it becomes the opposite of what God intends it to be. That, that God's intent for us is that when we serve, that it brings life to us and to others as we intentionally place ourselves second, as we, as we emulate something of the character of Christ and step into loving action, but, but that when we serve from a place of obligation or, or compulsion, it, it all too easily burns us up. And so as I was reflecting kind of on, on where we are and that encouragement, and I do want to say, if you're, if you're not serving on a team and you would like to, please express interest, yeah? Jump on, on the app and go to Connection and have a look at the teams there and, and click on one you think you might like. If you've got the form from last week, hand it in at the, the help desk. Because we do believe that when you're involved, you're engaged in a different way. We want everyone here at church to feel like this isn't just a thing that they consume. Church is not a product. Uh, but so much of that is when we contribute something, we realize, hey, I'm, I'm not just taking from this. This is something that I contribute to. This is something that I can belong as a part of. It's something that I can grow as, as being a part of. So we would love for you to serve, not because we need to get things done, but because we believe that it's good for you. Yeah? It's awesome. Uh, and so today, really, as I was kind of reflecting on that and reflecting on, on the balance of saying, hey, we believe that serving is good for us and it's a blessing and we want to do it well, I really felt like to, to balance that, that, that I believe that we need to talk about maybe one of the most essential things to our faith and how we remain healthy in all that we do. As we look after ourselves and, and those around us, I think I want to talk about what I think is one of the most important topics in, in following after Jesus. That I really want to, I want to talk in, about and, and reflect on the idea of rest. And I don't just mean rest in terms of like not overscheduling yourself, although I think that's really important, yeah? 
There's some ways in which we can be intentional about what we say yes to and what we say no to, realizing that every time we say yes, we're saying no to something else, and that sometimes we're saying yes to things that we shouldn't be, and it means we're saying no to things that we, we don't want to be, yeah? I don't just mean overscheduling, though. I'm not going to kind of break down, you know, how we do things, but, but I really mean like a heart-level, bone-deep rest. In, in fact, in our series of, of timing today, if you're taking notes, I've titled today simply A Time to rest. It's because I wrote it yesterday, so that's the best title I got, right? So turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to John chapter 8. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 to 11. This is in the, the message translation. It's a story that you probably uh, will, will recognize. It says this, Jesus went across to Mount Olives, but he was soon back in the temple again. Swarms of people came to him. He sat down and taught them. The religious scholars and Pharisees led in a woman who had been caught in an act of adultery. They stood her in plain sight of everyone and said, Teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Moses, in the law, gives orders to stone such persons. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something incriminating so they could bring charges against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. They kept at him, badgering him. He straightened up and said, the sinless one among you go first. Throw the stone. Bending down again, he wrote some more in the dirt. Hearing that, they walked away one after another, beginning with the oldest. The woman was left alone. Jesus stood up and spoke to her. Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, master. Neither do I, said Jesus. Go on your way, and from now on, don't sin. When you bow your heads with me while it's time, and then uh, let's, let's pray. God, we thank you for, for these moments together as we, as we turn to your word. God, we thank you for the, the blessing that it is to be able to, to, to read scripture together. God, to, to turn our attention towards what it is that you're saying to us, not just individually, but as a community. God, I pray that today in these coming moments, as we, as we look at what your word says, that it wouldn't be my ideas or my words, but that you would speak. God, we pray that, that today especially your spirit would be present among us, that, that you would be moving, that, that you would be encouraging, that you would be mending hearts, that, that we would feel drawn closer to you, God, that today, if nothing else, we would leave here having known that we encountered something of the living God. Pray your power at work, pray your mercy and your grace in Jesus' name, amen. So here we are. Jesus is, is teaching in, in, the, in the temple, in the synagogue, as he, as he did, right? Jesus was in the synagogue basically every Sabbath. He, he gathered together and he did what we are doing, kind of this continuation of, of joining together and reading the scriptures and investigating what is it that, that the Torah says. And so they're there in this moment and in an attempt to stir up controversy, the, the Pharisees and the religious scholars, they bring a woman forward who was caught in the act of adultery. And in doing so, it's important to, to acknowledge and realize that she's breaking a commandment, right? She's done something wrong, especially under Jewish law. And what they do in dragging her in front of everyone, is, as uncomfortable as it might make us as a refined Western audience, it's completely justified in the context that they're in. They're doing the, the right thing. She's to face public sentencing. Except we know this, this isn't really about justice, don't we? Because there's only one person that's dragged in front of the public. There's only one person who's, who's embarrassed in this, in this way. And it just so happens to be the person in the societal order who's the lowest on the pecking order, right? They're punching down. They're bringing in someone who is in a vulnerable position who cannot defend themselves to, to accuse in front of everyone. The man is nowhere to be found, which, you know, fair enough, because it only takes one person to commit adultery. We all know, yeah? 
right? It's this ridiculous moment in which they bring forward this woman, not because they're concerned with what she's done, but because as the Bible tells us, they want to trap Jesus. They want to trap Jesus and see what he does. And in the midst of, of this kind of, this trap that is being sprung, Jesus begins to, to draw in the dirt. There's this kind of interesting moment in which he seems to not really hear them. They, they come and they're like, oh, we got you. You know, they, they spring the trap and, and rather than rising to the bait, he, he crouches down and starts doodling in the dirt. And there's lots of commentary about what he doodles and what he does. The truth is that the scripture doesn't tell us, so we don't really know. And I'm not going to try and try and understand that today. But, but he, he, he takes his time. And in taking his time, he then stands up and he tells the men, any one of you who has never done anything wrong, throw the first stone. If you want to kill this woman in public for a mistake that she has made, then by all means, whoever has never made a mistake, go ahead and throw the first stone. And one by one, from the oldest to the, to the youngest, or assuming if it starts at the oldest, I'm imagining it goes to the youngest, right? They drop their rocks and, and they leave. And Jesus says to the woman, where is everyone? No one was there. And so Jesus told the woman, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. See, this is what we believe that Jesus does. We sin. We all fall short. But, but by which I mean we look for meaning and satisfaction in destructive places. We look for something to fill the ache that is in us, and we look for it in places that actually just amplify the ache. We drink poison hoping that it will satisfy our thirst. And it's a moment in which we're like, oh, I'm not so thirsty anymore, but now I have a much larger problem. Now the thing that I thought that would help me is actually destroying me more than the help that I needed in the first place. But in the midst of our falling short, in the midst of our destroying ourselves, looking for the right thing in the wrong places, Jesus brings grace and removes the penalty of our sin. He removes the ramifications of our, of our own choices. This is atonement. I wonder, have you, have you ever read this passage and, and asked like, why was the woman there? Why are you thinking, Jono, like, is reading comprehension, right? We literally, we literally just covered that. It was all of 20 seconds ago. You, you just read to us in the public reading of Scripture that she was there because she was caught in adultery. Why was the woman there? Because she was caught in adultery. But, but think about this a, a little bit more. Let, let, let me put it this way. What led her to the circumstances in which she was caught in? Right? Why was this woman in an adulterous relationship? I, th I think it would be fair to say that she was searching. That she was looking for, for meaning, for satisfaction, for worth, for, for value. You know, we could think about all the different circumstances that might have led to the moment in which this lady finds herself in a culture in which, like I said, being a woman is kind of the lowest rung on the social totem pole, that, that maybe she just simply was trying to find a man who would look after her, who would provide for her. Maybe she was a widower. We don't know what situation she comes from, but wherever, whatever moment, she's looking for something good, but she's looking for it in a destructive place, and it leads to her in relational damage, yeah? But, but not only that, at least we were being dragged in front of everyone, condemned, and in that culture, likely killed. And Jesus says to her in this moment, go and sin no longer. What he's saying to her is, hey, what you're looking for isn't found where you're looking. What you're looking for isn't found where you're looking. Sometimes we can read the scripture and we're like, oh man, Jesus is gracious, that's so awesome, and we move on. But, but interestingly, the, the lady caught in adultery isn't the only person in the story who's looking for meaning, is she? 
We see Jesus interact with the other party in this story, the Pharisees, a bunch of times throughout the Bible. One of the most interesting interactions I find is in, is in Mark chapter 2. In fact, we'll turn there now. If you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 2, I'm going to read verses uh, 23 to 24, and we'll continue on a, a little bit further. But it, it says this, again, in the message translation, I love how Eugene Peterson captures the, the rhythm of the moment. He says, one Sabbath day, he, that's Jesus, was heading through a field of ripe grain. As his disciples made a path, they pulled off heads of grain. The Pharisees told on them to Jesus, look, your disciples are breaking Sabbath rules. See, I want to pause for a second and and, and kind of catch us up on where we're at in this moment. Why did the Pharisees throw this lady in front of Jesus? It was for the same reason that the Pharisees get so upset with the disciples for picking grain on the Sabbath. They go and tell on them to Jesus. The Pharisees are looking for meaning. But unlike the woman who finds meaning in in destructive relationships, the Pharisees found their meaning, their purpose in, in the law. They brought this woman to Jesus because they wanted to see how he would approach their meaning. They found satisfaction in how well they thought they behaved. And so would Jesus agree that they were worth something in their behavior by agreeing with their judgment of this woman that because she had done the wrong thing, she was not worth anything? And so they bring this woman in front of Jesus, not because they're concerned with the woman, but because they want to see, does Jesus agree with us that our adherence to the law makes us worth something, that our adherence to the law gives us meaning, does our good behavior give us value? See, I think if we're honest, most of us fall into one or two of these camps. If we're really honest, we probably flip between one and the other. Yeah, the, the, the camp of, like the lady, looking for meaning, for satisfaction in pursuit of pleasure. And this can obviously be destructive. We can see the, the easy ways in which this is, is damaging to us. I'll only feel satisfied if I make this much money, or I'll only feel satisfied if I can make these people love me or, or capture this sort of attention. We see that and we're like, hey, that's dangerous. We need to not do that. We're good at, at acknowledging that and rejecting it. But it's not just pursuit of kind of big carnal pleasures. It can also be simple, disordered loves, good things in the wrong place. It can be pursuit of pleasure. I'll feel satisfied. Man, I'm just, I'm feeling down about life, but I know I'm going to feel happy once I get this holiday. I, I know I'm going to feel satisfied once I get this promotion at work. I know I'm going to feel happy once I, I get this acknowledgement, once I do this renovation on my house, once I reach this milestone, once we have a certain nest egg in the bank account so I don't have to worry about the future, once I get to this place I'm going to feel satisfied. None of these things are necessarily bad in the way that, that you know, going out and being like, I'm going to live a debaucherous life is evidently destructive, but they ultimately, if we put the wrong emphasis on them, lead to the same place. The pursuit of pleasure as, as a form of meaning will disappoint us and ultimately not just disappoint, but will hurt us leading to destruction. Drinking poison to satisfy thirst. Or we can be like the Pharisees, looking for meaning, for satisfaction and pursuit of perfection. I do all the right things. People are impressed by me. People, people see me doing the right things. I've, I've earned God's love. God has to approve of me because I'm doing everything. I'm ticking the boxes. And so when I need God to move for me, then surely we've reached the place in our, our relational kind of checks and balances that I've invested enough into the being good box that God's going to tick my do what I want box. 
right? We pursue pleasure or we pursue perfection. In both cases, we're looking for meaning in the wrong place. You might be thinking, you know, Johnny, you said you were going to talk about rest. What, is it, what does this have to do with, with rest, right? What is this pursuit of either pleasure or perfection? How does that relate to, to us having a bone-deep, heart-level rest for ourselves? Well, well let's keep reading. Remember in, in this chapter in Mark chapter 2, the Pharisees are again trying to chat Jesus and, hey, do you agree with us that doing the right thing makes you worth something? Because your disciples are picking grain on the Sabbath and we don't think that they should be. If we continue, Jesus responds to them. Verse 25, Jesus said, really? Haven't you ever read what David did when he was hungry, along with those who were with him? How he entered the sanctuary and ate fresh bread off the altar with the chief, chief priest, Abiathar? right there watching holy bread that no one but priests were allowed to eat and handed it out to his companions. Then Jesus said, the Sabbath was made to serve us. We weren't made to serve the Sabbath. The Son of Man is no lackey to the Sabbath. He's in charge. See, see at this point in time, the Sabbath was no longer as God had intended it to be. Thousands of years before, God had given the Sabbath as a gift to his people, as a day to not work, to remember that there was more to life than pleasure or perfection, that there was something bigger. But, but in Jesus' day and age, the point had been missed entirely, and the Sabbath had become a trap. It had become a, a burden. In fact, Pharisees would dedicate their entire lives to debating what is work, what constitutes work. If you cannot do work on the Sabbath, then what's okay to do and what's not okay to do? Like, do we just have to lie in one place for an entire day just not moving, right? Like, are we allowed to breathe? What is it all right to do? What seems okay and not okay to do on the Sabbath? And it gets crazy. Like, it's like, all right, if your donkey wanders off, can you go and get your donkey? It's like, oh, maybe you can get your donkey if it goes this far, but if it's just going for a little walk, then let it go for a little walk. But if it's really a roaming donkey, then, you know, if you've got a roaming donkey on your hands on the Sabbath, then you're all right. You can go and get it, yeah? Well, what about if someone, like, attacks you? Can you defend yourself? Well, it depends how much. And, and Pharisees would spend their entire lives debating this and, and going into the nuance of it. And it seems funny to us, yeah? You're like, this is crazy. Like, how could people so miss the point? But living in that culture at that time, it wasn't funny. It was terrifying. Because there was no certainty around what was safe and not safe to do. One Pharisee would say you could go after your donkey. The other would say that you couldn't. And it depended on who saw you do the donkey chasing as to what the repercussions were going to be. Right? And, and so again and again, people were confused about what they could or couldn't do. If you worked on the Sabbath in the wrong way, you could be killed or at the very least shamed in your community. And so the Sabbath became a day of fear amongst the Jewish people. People would hide in their homes, huddling, hoping not to, to violate some unknown rule. What started off as a great gift was now something else entirely. And so here we are, and this is the, the context into which Jesus is speaking. Jesus understands the landscape, and more importantly, Jesus understands the Father's heart behind the Sabbath. And so on one of these terrifying Sabbath days, Jesus and his people are in the fields collecting grain and eating it, and the Pharisees hear about this, and they're excited. Awesome. This, this Jesus is so annoying. He keeps on loving people and, and like our, our nice boxes that we've got and our clean rules. He keeps on just, ah, oh, it's very frustrating. And then he keeps on pointing it back to Scripture and it's hard to argue with him because he seems to be right. But we're really sure that we're right because we've been thinking this for a while. And just if we could get rid of him, it would make our lives a lot easier. 
And, and so there he is, going, oh, amazing, he's, he's breaking the law. This is clear cut. Everyone knows about the Sabbath. This is what you do, this is what you don't do. He's doing the wrong thing, and he's not even trying to hide it. And so they confront him, they think that he's caught. And again, I love Jesus' response. It's, like, it's the same as the response when, when the woman caught in adultery is brought before him, right? He's not rushed. He's not compulsive. He's not like, oh, okay, you got me, you got me. He's gentle. He's measured. He's in the moment, but he's not, he's not hurried. And so he says, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? Now, now, now this is funny. Like, why is that funny? It's funny because the Pharisees, their identity is in their reading. Their identity is in knowing the stuff, is in reading the law, is in understanding the, the, the scriptures. So when Jesus says, have you never read about David? They're like, read about David. I've read everything there is to know about David. I've read it three different ways. I've read it backwards. I can literally, without exaggeration, recite it to you from memory. It's what they're about. Right? They're like, if anyone has read it, if anyone knows it, it's us. We know it. We've read it. We get it. We know what it says. Of course they knew when they read about David. And so this must have infuriated them. Like, yeah, we've read David. What are you talking about? And then Jesus links what David did, which was breaking the law, to the heart behind the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made to serve. We weren't made to serve the Sabbath. Another translation says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus is saying you've taken a gift from God, a day to function as a reminder that you don't fit, find meaning in pleasure or perfection, that you don't find meaning in what you can do or what you can't do, and you've turned it into something you use to try and find meaning. You've transformed the very reminder that you cannot do enough, that you are not earning God's love, that God is a gracious God who comes to you, and you've turned it into a thing to try and earn the love of God that it's meant to be the reminder that you cannot earn. You've taken a gift from God. Has anyone ever, ever had like a Christmas present you get? You don't love the Christmas present? And so you smile. You're like, oh, thank you so much for the Christmas present. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. I've, I've been wanting one of these for forever. And you, and you put it down, you put it in the pile. And then Christmas comes around the next year and you're like, oh, I forgot that person. I forgot that cousin or that auntie or that uncle. Or if you're a bad son, that father. Like, again, just we're not speaking all hypothetically, obviously. And so you go searching through the, your like junk drawer or junk pile or junk cupboard or junk room if you really need to figure out how to clean your house. And you find this thing and you're like, oh, this is, it's got the tags on, it's unopened. This, I'm going to re-gift this. This is amazing. And so you take it and, and you wrap it up. And, and Christmas Day, you, you give it over and the person unwraps it and they're like, ah, thank you. And in that moment, I think, I think you gave me that last Christmas. Your life kind of passes, and all of a sudden, the moments seem very close. You're like, how could I have forgotten that you gave me that fleece-lined hot water bottle, or whatever it might be, right? The fuzzy dice to go in my car. How could I have forgotten that you get? And they're like, and and either they fall for it, and they're like, you like the one that I got you so much, so you got me one too. And you just have to be like, how do I not lie on Jesus's birthday, right? Like, ah. or they're like, this is what I gave you, and you're like, yeah, um, Merry Christmas. This is what the Pharisees have done. They've taken this gift from God and they're like, oh God, thank you so much for the Sabbath, this day to remember that we do not earn your love, that we are not in control, that we do not sustain ourselves, that it's not about pleasure or perfection. God, thank you so much for it. And just, God, we got you an incredible gift. Now you need to love us. We've come up with this great idea. We're calling it Sabbath. On the Sabbath, we're going to do no work, not even a little bit. We're not even going to chase donkeys so that you know how much you, that we love you. 
God, we're going to convince you to love us. We're going to convince you to, to, to approve of us. And Jesus cuts to the very core of the, the Pharisees' disordered love, and he says, the Sabbath is not a gift you give to God. It's a gift God gave to you. See, the unique claim of our faith is that God is a God who comes to us. That, that, that we don't, God doesn't wait for us to, to earn his love, but God loves us in our iniquity. Our faith is not about us loving God, about earning our way in, about convincing him. To, it's a celebration that he loves us. And this is what the Sabbath was meant to be a reminder of. But I think it's human nature to be so insecure that we need to force love. That they're like the Pharisees. We, we do something and offer it to God to try and impress Him. And, and the Pharisees somehow manage to turn doing nothing into work. Human nature, we can corrupt anything, yeah? God knows everything, but, but maybe even God was scratching his head a little bit at that one. Like, come on, this is meant to be a day in which you do nothing to be reminded that you can do nothing to make me love you. I love you. And you've turned even this into a thing in which you're trying to earn love. You know, we, 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 read, the first, uh, we read of the first Sabbath in, in Genesis. You're probably aware of the story. God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and he rested on the seventh day. And then God directs the Israelites to do the same work for six days and, and rest on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath day, you do nothing as a reminder that in comparison to God, on the other six days, you actually also do nothing. That every day of the week, you're not the one keeping the stars in the sky. That every day of the week, you are not the one that keeps your heart beating in your chest. That every day of the week, you are not the one that keeps the earth spinning. That actually, there is a lot that we do, and that's great. But in comparison to what God does, God does it all, and we do nothing. And the Sabbath is simply a day to acknowledge that. That it's not your education, your work, or your brilliance that will bring meaning to your life. And that when all of the other nations of the world work seven days a week and the nation of Israel doesn't, it will form, it will function as a, as a testimony to the blessing that is undeniable and inexplicable that true meaning only comes from God. That living in a life and a relationship with God does not make sense. That it is an upside down kingdom. That it's a weird sort of place in which people gather together and say we actually think that serving others is the best way to live. We actually think that dying to ourselves, that placing ourselves second, that not living a life of self-advancement is the true intent that God made us for. That when we bless others, we are blessed ourselves. That life is not about building for ourselves, but about giving ourselves away. That it doesn't make sense that you should work every moment you have, and yet we intentionally rest. That true meaning doesn't come from pleasure or perfection, but it comes from God. And then Jesus comes along and he says that he's Lord, even of the Sabbath. I'm almost done, just maybe as, as Ben comes up on the keys. When it comes to creation, everything was finished on the seventh day. It was done, so God rested, right? We're aware of that. We, we get that. But, but when we continue reading, we read of, of Jesus' final moments on the cross in, in the Gospel of John, John chapter 19, verse 30. Again, you're probably aware of, of this verse. When Jesus had tasted it, this is the sour wine they gave him, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and released his spirit. See, in his redemptive work on the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. But, but what, like, what does that mean, right? Jesus, I understand you are on the cross. Probably a little bit short of breath. Bit of a hard moment for you. But if you could have hung in there to give a little bit more detail, it would have been very helpful. 
right? Like when you say, if I was there and I was a disciple, I mean, probably not, but let's go with the incomplete idea. But like Jesus, when you say it, just before you go, just before you release your spirit, what's it? Like, what do you mean when you say it is finished? What, what Jesus means when we see in the, the story of the Bible as a cohesive whole, which it is, is that we were made to live in communion with God. That we were made to live in communion with God and with one another. And that all that we needed for our well-being was provided for us by God. But the human act of defiance of that divine intent of blessing, we act in defiance of that divine intent of blessing. And in doing so, we attempt to go it alone. To, to use language maybe that, that helps us identify what's happening. We attempt to be our own gods, to choose good and evil for ourselves. But precisely in doing so, what we do is the good order of God's world is disrupted and we are plunged into a chaos that robs us of our true identity and evil enters into the world. We harm and, and we destroy and creation itself sickens. But God doesn't abandon us to the evil that we chose, the evil that we bring into his good creation. Instead, he comes in the person of Christ. God enters into the midst of human suffering and evil, and he takes it upon himself, suffering its worst consequences. See, the cross reveals that humanity's defiance of God ends in death. That's the trajectory that we started. But it's at this point that everything gets turned upside down. Our sin in, in introducing evil to the world can only end in death, but God takes what is rightfully ours. What, what we should rightfully have is suffered by God. The one without sin bears the full brunt of our defiance and suffers in our place. Christ dies for our sin. He takes the evil we created, separating us from our evil. So we say it's finished. What is finished? The trajectory established in our rejection of God. That when we've rejected God, we've created evil and God is good and evil and good cannot mix together. And so in His action, He creates another way that we are not tied to our mistakes, that we are not tied to our failure, that we are not tied to our sin, that we are not tied to our evil, but that if we accept the redeeming sacrifice of Christ on the cross, it will not be forced upon us. But if we choose to respond to what Jesus has done, God in the flesh come to take our sin and the penalty of our sin, then there is an off-ramp from the trajectory that we have established innately within ourselves. That we are no longer our sin, but we can be seen as Christ is. Pure, blameless. That we can have an eternity removed from the penalty of sin that one day we will exist in a new heavens and a new earth without the presence of sin, and that here and now, in working with the Spirit of God, with the Holy Spirit, we can be free from the power of sin. Justification, glorification, sanctification. That, that, when, that we can be reunited with God. That it is finished, and because it is finished, we can rest. See, when God finished creating the world, He rested because it was done. Because Jesus died for our sins, because Jesus did what we could never do, because God came to us and took our sin away, we can rest. 
Hebrews chapter 4 verse 10 says, For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors just as God did after creating the world. Why did God rest on the seventh day in the creation account? Was He tired? Was He bored? No, it was because there was nothing more to be done. So when Jesus says it is finished, it means that nothing can be added or subtracted. There's nothing we can do to earn God's love. He loves us and so we can rest. Sabbath is no longer just a 24-hour period for the New Testament believer, although I do believe that practicing a Sabbath, 24 hours in which we are intentional about what we do and not do, is a great way of reminding us of God's continual work. It's another sermon. To us, Sabbath is more than just a day. It's a lifestyle. That we don't work to prove anything. That Jesus has already done it. It's not about perfection or pleasure. And what that allows is it allows for the work to be what was it, it was always intended to be. See, work can be beautiful. Work isn't in and of itself bad. It was the sin that it was sin that brought the toil and the sweat of the brow to work. That's the work behind the work. That's what causes exhaustion and, and weariness. That's what makes work something other than just a beautiful expression of something into the world and instead turns it into the drive to prove yourself the drive to earn, the drive to attain, the drive to have one more thing and then finally I'll feel significant, the drive to accomplish a little bit more and finally I'll have meaning, the drive to be perfect enough that then God will have to love me, work behind the work, searching for meaning in all the wrong places like the woman caught in adultery is the work behind the work, trying to be good enough like the Pharisees is the work behind the work. See, Sabbath means there is no need to prove yourself that the work behind the work has been eliminated, that if we would receive Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we are free. We can rest. In Matthew 11, 29, and I'm almost done, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus invites us to come to him to rest, to rest for our souls. And what breaks me is that we can be a people united around the pursuit of Jesus, forgetting what He gives us. That we could be a people attempting to do what He calls us to do without embracing the very reality from which we're meant to live. That we could become the modern Pharisees thinking somehow it's about perfection and earning our way into God's good graces. And that leads us to a place of judgment, of looking at others and saying they're not earning it in the right way or they're doing something I disagree with. And we seat ourselves in a place of judgment when God is inviting us not to the seat of judgment, but to the reclined posture of rest. That we could be a people who say, I'm not earning my way into God's love. So it doesn't matter that you're not either. God loves you as you are, where you are. And in meeting you as you are, where you are, He wants to journey with you that if you're in a place of pursuit of pleasure or perfection, He's not gonna leave you there because you're drinking to satisfy your thirst, but He will come and take the effect of the poison that, that we have consumed. And more than that, He will point us to a better well, a true well something that will satisfy our thirst, our longing, living water, that lets us know that there is a better way. Jesus invites us to come to Him for rest, rest for our soul. So today I simply want you to, to think about what does that bring to mind for you? What would it look like for you to live a life in which your soul is rested? 
What would it look like for you to end the work behind the work? Do you know a soul deep rest? And I know that life can be busy and seasons can be frantic, but there can be a rest in your soul in the midst. This is how I perform in this won't determine my value. What do you need to do today to remember it is finished? In a moment, I want to invite all of us to reflect on that question as the team leads us in a song of worship. What do I need to do today to remember it is finished? But before I do, we take the opportunity every Sunday to pray a prayer together of repentance and acceptance. That if you're here today and you know that you haven't received Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, then everything we talk about, everything else is colored by trying to earn your way in. If you jump into this halfway through, you miss the entire point. If we think that our faith is simply about being good people, then we attempt to do it in our own strength and we take good things and we do them for the wrong reason and we break them and we break ourselves. The reason we give this opportunity every Sunday is we do not want anyone in our community operating from a place of thinking that we are earning this, thinking that this is in our ability. If we do nothing else as a church, we wanna continually point people to Jesus and remind ourselves that God loves us as we are. He meets us, that we all sin, that we all fall short, but that accepting Jesus' sacrifice, again, is not forced on us, but in saying, Jesus, I recognize that you will take what is mine, that you have taken it. All I need to do is release it and choose to live a life following you. Then a journey begins, but that moment is the place from which we have to live or else it's all broken. His head's bowed and his eyes are closed today. Is it's you and God. If you know that you're here today and maybe you've never chosen to accept Jesus' sacrifice. Maybe until this moment you didn't truly realize what that was, what that meant. But today if you're here and you would say, John, I realize that today I need to, I need to let God be God. I don't choose good and evil. I don't redeem myself. I simply can't. Today, I choose to trust in Jesus. I choose to give Him what He's already taken from me. Be it for the first time or, or as a prayer of recommitment as you realize I, can, I don't have to carry this. I can give it to God. I can live from a place of rest. His head's about, his eyes are closed if that's you. In a moment, we're gonna pray a prayer and I'd just simply love to know if you're praying this with us that we could continue to support you in this journey. And so if it's you today, as a gesture, there's nothing magical in raising your hand. The decisions that we make today are decisions that we live out every day. But if you're here today and you know that you wanna recommit your life, you wanna be able to look back at this moment and say, today was the day that I chose to trust God in a new way or to choose to trust God again with the things that maybe I'd taken back of my own accord. If that's you, on the count of three, I'd just love you to raise your hands and let me know. If you're here today and you're saying, Jesus, I wanna choose to trust you to embrace your atoning sacrifice, on the count of three, why don't you raise your hand? Three, two, one. Friend, if that's you, I'd love you to let me know. I'd love to pray with you. If you're here today and you're saying, today is my day to choose to trust Jesus for the first time as a recommitment. Awesome. Just one more time, I don't wanna labor this moment, but I don't want to rush it. If that's you and you're saying, I need to trust Jesus. I live from meaning because of what He's done, not because of what I can or can't do. One more time, if that's you, 
Just raise your hand up nice and high and let me know. Awesome. Church, you repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, today I choose to trust you. Thank you that you came and you died for me. That you took my sin and you took it away as far as the east is from the west. That I could be free. That you love me. I choose to live from that love. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, we stand to your feet. As a church, we don't want to be a people who just talk about ideas without, without outworking them, without embracing them, without struggling through them. And so in these coming moments, as the, as the band leads us in, in worship, I would love for you to ask yourself, what do you need to do today to remember it is finished? What do you need to do today to enter into Sabbath rest that, that everything else we can do can come from a place of knowing that we are loved and accepted, that the striving that is built into our very nature could cease? I would ask that as you go from this room into your coming week, as you go about your life, that when a moment comes in which you feel your worth tied to something you do or don't do, something you want or something you don't have, that you would take the opportunity to remind yourself, it is finished. I can rest. The work behind the work is done. Doing that thing, not doing that thing, having that thing, not having that thing will not make me valuable because I am already I'm already so so valuable that God already loves me he's already for me today as, as the band leads us in worship I wonder could you take a, a moment an opportunity to practice here what we need to do in the rest of our week to rest in God and if you're here today and that's hard, if you feel stuck in a cycle of performance, if you want to rest in God, but God feels far, you don't know how, something just isn't clicking and you want to push into God, but something feels wrong. We, we can't fix things for you necessarily, but we will always stand with you. And so if you're here today and you're like, I want to rest in God, but I'm just not quite sure where He is. I want to rest in God, but every time I do, my heart is still hammering in my chest. And as much as I say, God, I'm resting in you, it doesn't feel like it's a lived reality for me. The altar is going to be open and we would love to simply stand with you in prayer to declare God's peace, God's grace, God's rest. One last time as you bow your heads before we sing together, I'd love to pray for us. God, we stand here today as your people. God, we are defined by your love and by your sacrifice. God, today would you help us rest? Everything in us searches to, to attain, to derive meaning from things that, that simply cannot meet the longing of our heart. Like the woman, like the Pharisees, we look for all the right things in all the wrong places. God, today would you help us rest in you? whatever that might look like for us. God, would you help us rest in you as you have uniquely made us? That we wouldn't judge our rest. We wouldn't think I'm not feeling a certain way or 
not doing a certain thing, this isn't rest, but that we would come to you as we are without judging ourselves. We would simply bring ourselves to you and remind ourselves that there is nothing that we can do to make you love us. You already do. God, would you move in this room today as we come to you as your children? In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.